and welcome to the second season of People's Jam. For the first timers, my name is Aziri, a girl that likes to ask questions. Season 2 will be different. It is all about students, their struggles and choices, university life and afterwards. So if you're interested, thank you for joining and stay tuned. My third guest is Ali, a man with a passion, a student at Harvard and an amazing interlocutor. So welcome to our conversation. Uh, can you please introduce yourself to the listeners? Tell who you are, or where you study, um, where are you from? Of course, um, I'm Ali Kurmush. If it's really confusing the name, uh, it's pronounced A-L-I-K-U-R-M-U-S. You can look me up on Instagram, you can look me up on YouTube. Maybe I'll get some more followers from international people, which will be amazing. I am currently living in Turkey and I'm currently, I was studying at Harvard, but I took a leave of absence after the education became completely online. So currently I'm free and when it was supposed to be my second year at Harvard and I'm studying physics and I'm doing YouTube and that ballroom dancing in my free time. I used to be a basketball player and that is pretty much my life story. Oh, wow. Okay. So could you tell about your background and being raised in Turkey? Being raised in Turkey? Well, especially I've been living in the most um, diverse neighborhood of Turkey, which is very amazing and I'm really proud of it. This has been a historical neighborhood and all the houses in here are actually second degree historic monuments. So you cannot renovate them and it has been saying since 1836. And this place is maybe called Jerusalem of Istanbul at least by Turkish people because all Christians, Muslims and Jewish people are living together in this neighborhood. We've got a synagogue, we've got a mosque and we've got a church next to each other and it is just an amazing neighborhood to grow up in also there are people from all kind of classes and political views and when we were discussing our political views in a neighborhood debate the opposing party supporters and us go to a football game after having a debate so everybody is friends and like the religion and politics just don't separate people and i really think that is an important way to be raised i'm really lucky that way and I really am glad that I haven't been raised in a bubble of a really big neighborhood. I think this neighborhood has a lot on my character. And growing up Turkish is just weird, especially when you come to the United States, the cultural differences become really evident. But maybe that's another question that you would want to ask. I just don't want to digress from the question flow. But I know, that's okay. Yeah, please. So how did you choose US as a place of your education? Okay, I'll definitely answer that. I would love to answer that. So um, in Turkey, um, in Turkey, the education system is maybe, I, I hope this is not being recorded and like, I hope this won't be offensive to Turkish people because it's usually dangerous to talk like this, but um, the Turkish education system is based on one exam. So at the end of the 12th grade, you just go into a single exam. They don't look at your extracurriculars. They don't look at anything. They don't look at your personality. They just put you on an exam and you make a, get a score and you go whatever university that score allows you, the best one, it allows you. And that was really stressful because I thought I wasn't a great test taker and being a good test taker is a skill. And in Turkey, they expect you to know what you want to study 
in 11th grade. So you like get either a mathematical education or like a scientific education or like a more of a um, literature education, that kind of stuff. And I realized that I wasn't ready for that. By that time, I was only 15. And you really can't ask a 15 year old boy, what do you want to do in life? So in Turkey, that was the problem. So because of exam anxiety and because I thought I was more than a test, I start what I consider international education. Also, the recognition and names were better. But why not Canada? Why not United Kingdom? Or why not Europe? Well, actually, I have considered Canada. Canada was a choice for me. But um, I just got accepted to better universities in America. Uh, in United Kingdom, you were again supposed to know what you wanted to major in, concentrate in, or whatever you call in United States and uh, United Kingdom, I'm so sorry. Uh, that was really a hard choice. So I wanted to study physics, but I wasn't sure. And if I get into a physics program in United Kingdom, maybe it would be even better than America, but maybe I would hate physics after a year, then my life would have been miserable. And also in United Kingdom, they expect you to be complete grown-ups when you get into college. But like you're not, you're just 17, you're just 18 and you are trying to get an education and you're trying to educate yourself against life. And when you're educating yourself about life and about academics, it's really hard to fight life while doing that. And British people in British schools expect you to do that, which was too big of a responsibility for me. Also, as a side note, even though I got into Harvard, I wasn't even allowed to apply to Oxford and Cambridge because my IB scores were not high enough. I got... <laughs> really? 30. Yeah, my predicted was like 38, 37, and they, had, they were only allowing above 40 IB predicted out of 42. So... Like, if you're going to Oxford and Cambridge, mad respect, I couldn't do it. I respect you all. It's, it's amazing. Uh, Europe, again, they had great physics education, but still, um, still, you had to choose what you want to learn. And in United States, well, you didn't know how, didn't know, have to know what you wanted to study, but you just had to have an idea. Or you can have, you could have no idea. And there's a, a lot of opportunities to explore. So I could have gotten to Harvard by saying that I would want to concentrate in physics, major in physics, but then I could graduate from sociology and take no physics courses at all, and nobody would have said anything. And that was a really great relief for choosing America in general. And in America, um, there are like need blind schools, which I don't know if you know about them, but they don't uh, look at the financial situation of the student. They admit the student first and then look at the financial situation. And that is really good for international students because they don't have to be very, they don't have to be worrying about being able to pay for tuition while choosing a college. This, these are only five schools. I think Harvard, Yale, Princeton, MIT, and Amherst. And you can look these up and you can add this to your college application or anything. And other schools are usually need sensitive. So even though United States was expensive, there were a lot of opportunities for scholarships as well. And that those two parts, the education difference and the um, sort of scholarship opportunities and freedom and also not being, not being forced to live your life, uh, not being forced to cook, find a place to live or just be an adult in such an early age while you are trying to 
get better academically was the reason that I chose United States. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting because even right now studying in the United Kingdom, I see a, a huge differences because people, when they do A-levels, which is a high school here, they need to choose the specific um, subjects that they want to study. And if they want to study medicine, they already need to know that they want to study medicine since you know, first grade, for example. <laughs> yeah. So you came to the U.S. and U.S. has a different culture to Turkey, definitely. How did you blend into the culture? Well, uh, the good thing about especially Harvard was that I didn't have to blend in completely because I actually brought my own culture and my addition to that community, which was very special for me. Of course, I had to adapt. The thing that I had to adapt the most was political correctness because all the lines or trigger warnings or safe spaces are in different places in America compared to Turkey. In Turkey, we literally have no filter and we have whole different sets of troubles. And America has whole different sets of troubles and whole different sets of sensitive points. And getting used to those uh, were really, really hard. There was this thing called the pronouns and I, it, it was the first time I have heard of it. Somebody asked me, what are your pronouns? And I just answered like he, she, it. And they just like looked at me really weirdly. Um, it meant that then later I found out you were supposed to set, tell how you would like to be referred when you were being referred as a pronoun. So my pronouns would have been him, he, him, his. And yours would be if you're, actually I don't want to assume pronouns, but usually if you're, straight uh, heterosexual heterosexual female then your pronouns are generally really generally i'm not assuming anything are she her hers uh, yeah that was really hard to uh get used to the dinner times were maybe it's a college thing but was really weird because the breakfast was like from eight to ten and lunch lunch was fine but the dinner ended at seven fifteen, and i usually ate dinner at eight thirty. Uh, in Turkey so I was basically starving in the nights at first and I got used to the sleep and meal schedule of course America like <laughs> all the food in America is actively trying to kill you I guess it's <laughs> was really weird in Turkey we had more of a vegetable based diet and it was I don't I can't tell if it's more healthy I, I just felt more healthy so getting used to the food and different kinds of food was sort of hard on, and I think that was the that was it. So if I were to summarize schedules like sleeping times and breakfast times and dinner times and class times, being an early morning person, the second first thing was uh, political correctness and cultural differences, like uh, unwritten cultural differences, and the third thing is the food. Those were the most basic. Of course, I have found many other smaller details in my journey, but I really don't want to spoil them for people because just talking about all these big things would just be intimidating for people who are considering United States as a uh, way of education. Like, don't worry, everybody will understand it when you're coming from a different background and some people will try to lynch you, but it's okay. Like, you can always say that you don't know and you'll be right if you actually don't know and if you're being sincere about it. Yeah, uh, no, that's great to hear because I imagine Harvard being a multicultural, multinational yeah. university. So if you can tell about how did you get into Harvard? Because it's Harvard. 
How did I get into Harvard? Well, getting into Harvard is actually like not like from an application point of view, no different than getting into any other American university. Um, they look at academic stuff, extracurricular stuff, and personal stuff. And I don't know which grade you're in, but if you're planning to apply to the United States and if you're above 11th grade, you probably know all these. So first of all, sorry, the first criteria is proof of proficiency in English. So that is an IELTS that is above seven and a half, or a TOEFL that is above 100. That, those are the two things. Actually, a TOEFL that is above 100 is the only thing that will do colleges. And then um, they look at your academics. Academics are what? Academics are your school GPA and your SAT, ACT, centralized test scores for America. You can look at them from College Board and you can just Google them and what tests you need to do which test will be the best for you because there are different companies that prevent, uh, present different types of tests, which is different. And um, then there is your IB or AP or A-level or whatever international program you're taking, scores of those. So that is your academic profile. Then the extracurriculars come. The extracurriculars are basically everything you do out of the lesson out of courses, out of academics. So everything can be an extracurricular, but not anything can be an extracurricular. This is really weird and hard way to explain it, but uh, extracurriculars are the things that people are passionate about, and passion is the key word for it. Like, when they're admitting you to a college, they want you to contribute to the campus as well, not they only contribute to you. So they just look at it and like, what? is this guy's thing? What is this girl's thing? Like, what does she do? What does he do? Like, does he write code? Does he play basketball? Does he do something? They, did he passionately follow something and did sacrifices for it or just like spend so much time on it that it became a part of his personality? That could be a definition of him. Um, the extracurriculars people ask, like, why can't I lie in there? Like, if I just list 10 stuff that I don't do, uh, First of all, they usually check the hours and the most imp impressive extracurriculars are usually like above 10, hour, above 10 hours a week or if they're not like really unique. And <laughs> if people get do like 10 things that are 10 hours a week, then they don't have enough time in a week because a week is 168 hours. And then some people say, claim that they do like 60 hours of extracurriculars a week, which is like, garbage because it's impossible you go to school uh, 100 hours a sorry 40 hours a week and then so 40 40 80 and you sleep like 56 hours approximately you eat like there's no time for that also people at admission offices usually know that even though you're a great applicant even though you go to harvard mit or yale or these kind of top universities you're human, you're, you're actually not anything. You're not alien, you cannot do, you cannot be passionate about like five things. It's just impossible. And that is the other thing that are um, indicators of the extracurricular things. And passing from extracurriculars, there is the personal thing, which you write your personal statement essay in the common app and then they check whether you are, are the fit for that university by asking you personal questions and personal essay responses. 
And first one, first essay, the common app essay is to describe you personally. And the second essay would be for understanding whether you would fit for that university because every university has their own type of students, has their own type of admission criteria. And it doesn't mean that maybe there are rankings on paper, but it does, if you go, get rejected from a school that is low in rankings, then get accepted by a higher one, it doesn't mean that their admission system sucks. It's just that you were not the person they, are, they were looking for. And that is really important. Some universities might want like all their classes to be like first uh, in their schools, have perfect GPAs and all want to be investment bankers or some would want to be a more diverse school. And all of these are okay. And you should choose your own type of school while applying to United States. So the most important thing for me while applying to United States is the college search. Just like as much as I have studied for ACT and SAT almost as much, uh, I have studied universities. What does that mean? I have looked at their websites. I have read every bit of information. I have read um, physics publications. I have read the news in the campus. I have read what kind of students, they, organizations they had, what kind of mottos they had. So I just checked the university motto and if the university's motto did not match with mine, I didn't apply to that. But for example, really on, not, I'm not gonna say underrated university, but I provide this example everywhere. Brown University, the motto of Brown University was that we don't offer a Brown experience. Everybody creates their own Brown experience. And that was really exciting for me. So I actually did an early decision there. I said, this is the school that I want to go to. And like, that is it. Then I got rejected from there, like rejected, not even like waitlisted, rejected, completely rejected. Then I got into Harvard. But does Brown suck? No. Does the admission officer suck? No. Does, did I sleep with the Harvard admission officer? Maybe that's private. But... <laughs> It's just, uh, it's just a different set of cases. So just follow the guidelines and you will find the best university for yourself if you study for the um, common exams and take a good GPA, find a passion for yourself and become an actually interesting person. Think that would you want to meet yourself? If you do, then probably the university would want to meet yourself as well. And then... Just be honest, be candid, and if you made your university research well, then you would find the university that you will be happy in. I don't know what you would be best of, but you will find the university that you'll be happy in. And I really think that is more important than anything else because Harvard, you might think that everybody is happy at Harvard, but unfortunately we are first on many things, but also we are first in mental health crisis in students. 60% of Harvard students has mental health issues, which is really bad because people just apply to Harvard thinking that that is the best place for them by sort of lying in their application, by sort of uh, not lying, but like maybe pretending to someone that they aren't. And then they get in the school and the school system doesn't work for them and they just get too stressed, too overwhelmed and it, they get just depressed. And you wouldn't want to get depressed in the prime time of your life. It's your college life. It's, it's the best part. So, yeah, uh, I said a lot of things. It will be really hard to collect all of it, but hopefully it all made sense to some extent. They definitely made sense and they're very helpful. And I agree with all of your words that you said. And what did you write in your application about your passions? Was it basketball on YouTube? Or was something more? Uh, actually, I started YouTube way later. I started YouTube when I got into Harvard because I, uh, there were no such content for like 
not how to get into Harvard, but like showing Harvard, showing what the university life in America was in Turkish. So I created one and it was really good. I really want to shoot out to Flu TV for doing this. I'm actually planning to start an English series. So if you would like to listen to that, um, the channel's name is Focusless. Currently there are only two shows um, titled A Man with a Bat, but also my show will be in there too. If you would like to subscribe to it, that would be great. If you I'll don't, subscribe, no, I'll subscribe definitely. <laughs> uh, I'll let you know when I publish the video. Okay, I've, I've, I've been starting recruiting again. Sorry for this. Uh, I always do this. Uh, basically, what were my passions back then? Uh, maybe I don't look really tall or big, but I used to be a basketball player and I played 16 hours a week of basketball and I was like the captain of my school team and we actually made it to nationals and as an academic school, that was a really big part of it. But even though I didn't get like anything major in basketball, that was my passion. I did basketball for so long. I didn't write about basketball, but I sure included what basketball um, gave me. So basketball taught me how to think critically sorry, and how to get criticism, how to hand, um, perform under pressure, how to sacrifice and how to give proper feedback. Those, those were the intangibles that they taught me and I reflected them on my essay. But my personal statement essay for all the colleges were about, was about managing adults, how to make adults like you. And I think that was a really cute thing and how I manage adults, how I calm adults down and what to, like, you know, how to handle kids and stuff. And there are um, books like that, but I just thought like adults are actually more interesting and just more fun. And they're sort, they were sort of basic and understandable. So I wrote about that at Harvard, my <laughs> essay about Harvard, was actually a letter to my future roommate all the other people wrote like how would you like to change the world or those kind of stuff my <laughs> my was a letter to my future roommate and i wrote about being cool how to be cool what is being cool coolness what is coolness and i think that was really good right so you can literally write about anything and as long as you don't take yourself too seriously then i think it will be a passionate and personal essay it's really hard to give feedback for personal essays. And if I could, could give feedback to personal essays, and if I could say which personal essays would go to Harvard, then I wouldn't be doing this podcast or I wouldn't be at Harvard. I would just start like, I don't know, consulting for $2,000 an hour and just like rich before, would be rich before I was 25 and wouldn't have to work the rest of my life. So unfortunately, I can't give you the, formula to get into Harvard or formula to write the perfect essay. I can only give some maybe tips or what I did. I can only share what I did and rest of his luck. Yeah, of course. It's def uh, everything is so individual. And so I see that you really think out of the box. And um, you got into Harvard. Did you meet the same minded people as you are? Actually, it was uh, everything that everybody has Harvard or everybody I met at Harvard almost just thinks that they didn't deserve it. They were like the, an imposter and they were like, people would understand that they are not as qualified as Harvard would think. And someday they will just kick them out. And also when I came there, I just thought, well, maybe they needed some glow average people as well. So that other smarter people didn't get depressed. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just, I thought about that. And, uh, usually there is a 
people just try a single path to get into good colleges, which is usually doing MUN and then having a good GPA and just being the president of the school. Unfortunately, there are so many schools and so many MUN presidents and so many perfect GPA people that you have to be really good at that if you <laughs> want to go in that way. Thinking outside the box, I'm really happy, but it's definitely a risk because um, I want to share my college statistics with you guys. Dartmouth, reject. Northwestern, reject. Cornell, reject. Um, Berkeley, reject. Um, Ash, Wash U, reject. Swarthmore, reject. Amherst, reject. Williams, reject. So, yeah. The second best university that, in America after Harvard that I got in. Actually, no, okay, second best. No, not second best. I'm not going to say anything, but the other universities that I got in were like University of Colorado, Boulder, University of the College of Worcester, University of Michigan, and I got into McKeel and New Toronto. And those were the, I think, maybe known schools I got into Emory. But like Harvard and those is just a different league. And sometimes thinking outside the box doesn't work for other stuff. Uh, I, of course, told you that I got rejected from Brown as well. So wow. I got a lot of rejections. <laughs> but um, so oh, just I need to process that because it's so amazing what you're t talking about. And um, uh, uh, it's really, really interesting. Sorry, because um, when I just decided also to take a podcast from you, like being at Harvard for me, like as a person who is not there was like, wow. And you like say that. So like simply it's really nice <laughs> it's really not also you know, like the best part is that being at harvard is really wow like it is wow and all the people you meet there and all your like you just look at them and say like damn i'm at, I'm at the same school with that guy and then you meet another person and you're saying that i i'm in the same school with this girl and like She's a national team rover and she's like taking the same physics as me. What did I do to deserve, like to deserve her place? My roommate, Justin, so he can code. He finished like a Harvard course even before he, he was coming to Harvard while he was just looking at it. He plays sick drums. He was learning guitar on his own. He was an all-American lacrosse player. He plays basketball and he's just a totally handsome and cool guy who you can talk and have great conversations with. So it's just crazy how talented people are. Everybody is amazing. And you just start a random conversation. And while you, if you have that conversation in your school lunch, people would say, yo, what a nerd are you? But I just can go to a place and just start talking about Albert Camus and the stranger or the outsider or L'Etranger in French. Uh, people just join and we have a debate about that um in a lunch table and then if it's a saturday we then talk about how wasted we were in the yesterday's party so it, there's like a whole spectrum of it and it's just crazy but if you want to go to harvard for parties don't like our parties are not that good I'm no they, they basically like, suck <laughs> i can't say that <laughs> like our standards are not that high but like parties in like university of florida and stuff they are the actual parties. I'm, I'm never saying anything like that. Also, in America, people can't drink. Oh, that was I'm, another cultural short because the drinking age is 21. Yeah. So people just act like they're 15 when they're 18. 
system that was sort of a turn off at some parties but this is a complete social thing but people might want to consider it but it's definitely something not uh, to be concerned if you are applying to America. Yeah. Would you like say you that? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Would you say the people make Harvard special? Exactly, people in there, or yeah, it's academia overall. The way of teaching. The way of teaching, I think, makes it special. The knack of uh, knack. I'm not saying lack. Like the skill of American. Like no, sorry, academic people is amazing because, like we are. <laughs> Um, we are like introductory mechanics is introductory mechanics in all the class, in all the schools. But like the guy whose textbooks, textbook you're reading is your teacher, and that is really interesting. And I was interested in like a concept of like um, traversable wormholes. I was just reading something in that in the archive, and I just asked my physics professor about whether he had an idea, and he was like, "Oh, I know the guy," and he just called like, "Yo, Rick." And then the guy came from the next office and it turned out to be the guy who wrote that paper. And like things like that happen at Harvard. It is just crazy. Uh, <laughs> so those like academia, really high quality to, to courses are the best part. Like people, people who you are sitting next to is amazing. Like people say that Harvard is actually not that good. And it's not like, it's fucking weird. It's amazing. Like, People sometimes say that they get disappointed after it wasn't the case for me. If I would have rated my Harvard experience out of 10, I would give 11. Like, that good. And everything was <laughs> really like special for me. If you're entitled and if you think you deserve better, then of course it won't be good enough for you. But like the faculty, academia, your experiences, and actually how, how humble the academics were to you as a student were just marvels for me and uh right now you said you take a t uh, one year off right because of the yeah, COVID. yeah yeah and so what are you thinking to do what am i thinking to do okay so we have a lot to cover here uh i've been doing research in summer for harvard actually i cannot officially continue but i cannot unofficially continue it and if i make it i might have uh uh, paper published in a NASA collaboration which is I think really good so I'll be working on that until the end of November then because I'm taking physics classes and I also want to take computer science classes and I also want to take astrophysics classes and because they all have prerequisite mathematical courses I was always behind a math course the course for the course I was taking for example in electromagnetic physics you need to know multivariable calculus before taking that course but I had to take it concurrently because I just didn't have time to take that course so if I were to continue doing that I would have catch up with all the courses and all with the with all the math courses in my junior year which is really bad so I just decided to take all the prerequisite math courses unofficially online somehow and learn them that we have Khan Academy, we have Coursera, we have amazing technologies in the internet now that you can learn anything from. So I'll learn mathematics, I'll specifically learn statistic introduction to like a little bit further introductory probability and linear algebra and Fourier analysis in terms of maths. In terms of astrophysics, I'll just um, read the contents of the astrophysics classes at Harvard. I have some friends who can share the P sets with me. We're sort of pirating, but I hope that won't be a problem. 
Um, furthermore, I play bass, uh, like the bass guitar, electric bass guitar. And to become a better bass player, I have to practice, and I usually don't have time to practice, but now I'll practice more and I will learn music theory so that I can be a better bass player as well. Also, I can always get fitter, like even if I have a six pack, I can have an eight pack, or like you can just be more fitter. I didn't give an example from my own body, but like you can always get fitter and healthier, so I'll try that as well. And I think that is a really busy year. I'll read more. I'll basically to study, self-educate, improve. Yeah, like just do everything that I didn't have time for, but I wanted to do. <laughs> That's amazing. And after all that, and like having experience at Harvard and like studying physics, do you know who you want to be in the future? Did you decide? Ooh, I, yes, I. Actually, uh, that was like a lucky realization for me and it has a really story, but uh, I want to be an academic, actually. I just want to work on physics and do research my entire life. And academia is really um, competitive and people say that you'll get destroyed in there, but I haven't tried my chance yet, so why not try it? And if I get destroyed, I'll just find something else. But for now, I haven't been destroyed. So I want to be an academic. I want to be a researcher. I want to be a professor, actually. Uh, you are the first person telling me who uh, tell me that he wants to specialize in academia and it's amazing because i think our future like our generation right now um doesn't seem to have that idea to be in academia all they want like to go as well as you said to investment banking or somewhere else usually yeah yeah <laughs> academia is amazing like Physics and problem solving and pleasure of finding things out is uh, was actually the most, uh, like the best pleasure I have ever had in my life. I was just solving problems and it was just pure pleasure and I just wanted to keep going doing that. Um, I have taken some physics courses at some summer schools and they were just amazing. I have also taken math courses and math was also amazing for me, but my math teacher wasn't as good as my, as inspiring as my physics teacher in high school. So maybe I have digressed to physics from there as well. I have read some Feynman, but not the official lectures or anything. I just read the book, Pleasure of Finding Things Out, and surely you're joking, Mr. Feynman. And those just showed me that it's okay to be, be a nerd and it's okay to try and it's, was just okay because like learning there are so many things you can learn and i was crying in the lectures because i was so happy that i learned that that kind of stuff in 10th grade i li remember looking at like the bernoulli principle and seeing something called the equation of continuity which had was like a reverse triangle weird as uh, rho divided by weird dt equals to something like that and i just didn't know what it was then we saw, I learned the math and then I saw that equation again and it just all made sense and I was crying because I was literally learning to read again, literally starting to understand yeah, and see through more stuff and I know that I'll see through more stuff. Like After some time, you, after getting a physics education, you just not know stuff but see stuff through math. For example, something whose second derivative in space that is equal to second derivative of time is for some people it's an equation but for me it's a wave and all the waves can be represented in that form and you see that you see you say oh my god it's a wave and nobody says that it's a wave and it's just weird greek letters but you understanding that is just marvelous for me it's like learning to read all over and again 
Uh, again, and that is my pleasure. Some people can call me a nerd. Some people could can call me uncle, but I love it. I, I think it's cool. It is, uh, as they say, do what you like and love what you do, right? Definitely. And yes. do you have like your favorite just motto or like a quote that you can share oh, with the listeners? Yes, definitely. Okay. I have uh, my favorite quote, and it's from a really great book. Actually, Douglas Adams wrote it. So if you're British, you might know it. Uh, the quote is from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and it's "Don't panic." Oh, don't panic! That's it. Don't panic. Just don't panic. That's it. Oh, wow. Okay. Um. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast and just agreeing to be my guest. All the good luck to you and on your YouTube channel. Thank you so much for good luck and thanks for bragging me and thanks for letting me talk about the stuff I like. Uh, it was a great podcast for me. I hope you also had fun. I hope people would, uh, who are people who would be listening, would have fun and also subscribe to my channel. 